Good morning. Welcome to Clubhouse. Hi, thank you. If you can click on my image and then click make moderator, then I can help in setting up the room. And nice to meet you. I'm Victoria. Okay. Um, okay. I, I didn't know what I was doing clearly. <laughs> That's all good. Thank you. Well done. Welcome up, Jamie. And can you please um, tell me how to pronounce your name correctly? Uh, it's Cecilia okay. Lindestam Arlaham. Okay, nice to meet you, Cecilia. You too, Victoria. Hello, doctor. Hello, everybody. How are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, I sent the slides to um, Katharina, um, but I don't know if you guys have them. She should be popping around in a moment. Yeah, and she'll take care of that. Okay, great. Yeah, normally we open the rooms for the researchers so that you have to do as little as possible. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah so, she's, yeah, so yeah. she's she'll be coming along, so you shouldn't have to do any other technical work except just um, enjoy the room yeah. and uh, enjoy you know, giving your delivering your research. Okay, great. Yeah, and then um, ha yeah, having some there'll be a bit of Q and A. Oh, here we here we have Katarina. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you so much for starting the room. How is everyone? Very well, Katharina. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Cecilia, where are you in the world? Um, right now I'm in Sweden, but I'm usually, I'm working in La Jolla in California. Okay, <laughs> a little different. <laughs> yeah, well, Sweden is so beautiful and that's, I hope you're enjoying your time there. Yeah, definitely. Where are you in the I'm world? in Oregon. Okay. Mm. That's also beautiful. It is. And, and Oregon reminds me a lot of the, the way it looks, reminds me a lot of Sweden. Yeah, I, when I was there, I had the same feeling. I visited Portland and I, I, it felt very uh, Scandinavian. Mm, right, the evergreens and and yeah, the plants and the sort of smaller hills. Yeah, definitely. And what has you in Sweden? Are you doing? Are you doing? Are you there for work, or are you relaxing now? Um, I'm working from here, but I'm here for um my father who actually has Parkinson's, so um needed a bit more help. So I'm, uh, sort of spending time both here and in uh, California. I'm sure he appreciates that very much. No, he does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's an amazing connection. I have, um, I know that I have at least one friend who's coming today um, because one of her parents also suffers from Parkinson's disease. 
And I was thinking that about that, about your research, that there's research that's shared here that's so fascinating and, you know, and we're just driven by curiosity. And then there's also research that, that people are waiting on desperately, you yeah, know, definitely. in the need, and that's yours. Yeah, there's a lot of um, people affected by Parkinson's. Is this your first time in Clubhouse right now? Yeah, it is. Well, um, except for um, the initial, we had a little pre-meeting okay. um, that Katharina helped me with. Clearly, I didn't learn enough. You were great. <laughs> I mean, look at what you did. You opened the room by yourself. <laughs> Clearly, you learned a lot. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I just want to be on time. Yeah, <laughs> and it says, said start room. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> I know it's a little tricky because that that opportunity is there, <laughs> and it's so hard to ignore. I I was asking because I hope that you will after here, if you have the time, that you might consider to look around and see what else is is happening. Yeah, I should definitely do that. I'm mm -hmm. sure there's more of these um, uh, types of talks and things. So. Well, there are all kinds of topics. We try to create, we try to create here in Science Society a, a welcoming and inclusive space that researchers can can feel comfortable presenting in and know that their you know they will their work will be respected here and also for listeners of all um, you know all levels of science knowledge to feel comfortable and know that they can come here and listen and and even put questions in the chat sometimes people will put questions in the room chat or just ideas that they're thinking of so there's there can be a lot of audience engagement mm -hmm. sounds great and this is really just a place oh, go ahead no, 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 I just wanted to say welcome everyone and we have two more minutes and then we'll start. But go ahead, Jamie. Oh, no, I was just going to say to Cecilia that um, this is quite a, a relaxed place. Like we're all pretty curious and we like to keep things, you know, we, we like, we really like to get our teeth into the nice juicy science and, um, but we're also quite relaxed. So if you just take off your shoes, don't worry about your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not on video, so you know. <laughs> yep, yep. You can just relax it and um, just get in, enjoying uh, explaining your work, which we're very, very excited to actually read about. Yeah, and I'm happy to answer questions if anything is unclear as I go along, or if you want to wait till the end. That is totally up to you. Um, different speakers prefer different things. So um, it's really, if you're comfortable having a two-way dialogue thing, um, we can we can accommodate that. Or if you would like to speak for a yeah, while. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's just easier um, if you think of a question to ask it straight away in case, you know, um, or if you want to hold on to them. I'm fine either way. Mm -hmm. We'll try and do our best to, to not interrupt your flow because uh, quite frequently, if we if we jump in too quickly, we're we're about to ask a question you were about to answer anyway. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'll just tell you. <laughs> exactly. 
Okay, I think we can slowly start. Uh, thank you so much, Cecilia, for starting the room and uh, for everyone to be here. Thank you, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and um, yeah, welcome everyone to the Science Society. Uh, we have our special guest speaker here today, uh, Dr. Cecilia Allerham. And let me uh, give you a little bit of background information first, and then Victoria will ask a more general question, and then the stage is yours for your presentation. Okay. So, oh, perfect. And um, so, um, Cecilia, um, Dr. Um, Alaham, she's a research uh, assistant professor at the Center for Infectious Disease and Vaccine Research at the Loyola Institute for Immunology in California. And um, she um, did her master's uh, degree um, in 2005 <clears throat> at, in biomedicine at the Kalmar University and um, at the University of Glasgow, she uh, worked in molecular functions and disease for, until 2006. And then she did her PhD in microbiology and immuno, immunology um, at the University of Glasgow in 2009. And now she has her own lab and it is focused on understanding T-cell immune responses um, to mycobacterium, tuberculosis and other infections, as well as self-antigens in the context of neurodegenerative diseases. So, um, yeah, she's uh, recently also focusing her research on Parkinson and Alzheimer's disease. Um, and um, this work has um, identified an uh, interesting target for T-cell immune responses, and that's what we are talking about today. So, um, yeah, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time. And Victoria, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Katarina. And as uh, Katarina said, um, Science Society welcomes you, Dr. Arlaham. We're really excited to hear you discuss your work in Parkinson's disease-specific gene signatures and learning from you. And so to bring another human aspect into the presentation this morning, well, I'm on the West Coast, as you know now, <laughs> um, I have a question about your connection to science. So if you look back through your life, is there a moment or experience that you associate with providing the spark or of curiosity that helped you develop your interest in science you know maybe a class or a book or yeah definitely you know. i mean thank you uh, and thank you for having me today i i uh, wanted to be a vet uh <laughs> during school but realized with my cat allergies that that's maybe not a good idea um so then i studied biology for a year um uh, before i started in University of Kalmar um, and there I did a course in cell biology and just found that really fascinating and thought this is really um, what I should do this <laughs> this is what I want to do so that's um, where the science aspect came in so then 
uh, my undergrad and then going on to PhD and then postdoc and now I have my own lab. Thank you. That's an exciting path. And I'm glad to hear that you're working in beautiful areas. La Jolla is also really lovely. So that's important. I think it's inspiring. Um, so yeah, so here you are. And, and then follow up question is, how did this, how does this work bring you to the research that you're working on now? What was your path there? Um, so I, I've did initially, when I joined the lab in La Jolla, I worked on mycobacterium tuberculosis. Um, but the techniques can really be, be applied to uh, other diseases as well. And we were curious um, whether there's a T cell component in Parkinson's. And that's what really led to what I'm going to talk to you guys about today. Um, we discovered uh, alpha-synuclein-specific T-cells in uh, Parkinson's disease, and that's really taken off a new area of research and a lot of work um, and a lot of questions that we still want to answer. So um, that's a big focus on of my lab. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it helps us to, you know, just to imagine the person who is doing this research as we hear, you know, as we hear what you're sharing. So, so to continue, you have the floor and you may launch into your, your presentation. And then as Jamie had mentioned, um, you know, whichever format you'd like, it's more traditional to wait until the end of your presentation, and then you can invite questions. Um, as you'd like, there have been some some presenters who have said, "Can you can you please feed us some questions because it will help us, um, you know, flesh out you know flesh out the body of our talk." But um, yeah, I mean, like is, I said, if anything is unclear or if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them as we go along here. So no problem. All right. Well, thank you. Well, the mic is yours, Doctor Earl. So thank you. So I hope everybody can see the slides. I thought. Um, I'll talk about our recent work uh, defining Parkinson's disease-specific gene signatures. So um, I'm at the La Jolla Institute, like was said, and then at the bottom left side, you see the funding agency that funds a lot of our uh, Parkinson work. So if we move on to slide two, um, I just thought I'll give a little introduction to what Parkinson's disease is. Um, yeah, so we uh, sort of set the stage for the talk today. So it's a degenerative disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and particularly nerve cells that are in the substantia nigra of the brain. So you could see that on the picture here. So in Parkinson's disease, these nerve cells die. Um, so you get less dopamine, which is uh, an issue that's when you start to experience these symptoms that are um, traditionally thought of as Parkinson's disease with the movement disorders and so on. And actually worldwide, there's more than 6 million people that have Parkinson's disease and there's 1 million in the US. And um, with the aging population and as we, you know, live longer, this will only increase and is projected to increase. So there's a huge need for 
um, different therapies and, and um, diagnosis and treatments for Parkinson's disease. So if we go to the slide that's an um, iceberg, uh, <laughs> uh, really the motor symptoms is just the tip of the iceberg. So there's a lot of what you traditionally would see as Parkinson's, like a forward tilt, reduced arm swinging, obviously the tremor that um, most individuals will experience of um, the extremities and, and the head potentially and then uh, slurred speech. But there's a whole range of other symptoms that also occurs in Parkinson's disease. And it's um, not something that you would necessarily see. So such as anxiety, depression, constipation, cognitive issues, sleep disturbances, and, and a whole range of other issues. So that's um, not just motor symptoms, but a whole range of other symptoms. So if we move to um, slide four, um, there is no test that can say, yes, you have Parkinson's disease. There's a lot of um, different aspects that a clinician will use to diagnose you, but there's no specific test. And there's also no marker how quickly you're gonna progress in your disease. Um, so that's something that's needed, of course. And importantly, there's also no cure. So the medication that you get can only help with managing symptoms. It can't cure your disease, which is obviously a problem as you go down that path. So on slide five, I just want to mention um, a little bit what we do in the lab and our focus, which has really been inflammation in the broad sense which if we hear inflammation we tend to think of that as a bad thing right it's the cause of many diseases it can cause tissue damage it can linger but actually inflammation is the immune system in action so it is normal um, and it is important because of course we want our immune system to react to whatever we um, pathogens we experience or um, other things that we end up through our lifetime. So um, in on slide six, <laughs> the goal is, and that's the uh, motto of the La Jolla Institute for Immunology is life without disease. And there you really want the balance between immune activation and immune suppression. Um, if you have too much immune suppression, you can have these, uh, for example, cancer or chronic infections. And if you have too much immune activation, you can end up with autoimmunity and allergy. So that um, the goal is a balanced scale. Um, but obviously, um, your experiences and everything also contributes to that. Um, so if we go to um, slide seven next, um, a hallmark of Parkinson's disease is really this accumulation of aggregated alpha-synuclein in the brain. So here is a picture of the substantia nigra, where you can see these dots, which are meant to um, represent aggregated alpha-synuclein, which is seen in um, Parkinson's disease. And 
These uh, aggregates are called Lui bodies and they can be taken up by particularly a uh, type of cells in the brain called microglial cells. Um, so that's um, sort of a hallmark. And we started off by looking to see if there's a T cell component of the disease, so sort of an adaptive immune response involved, which could point to an autoimmune feature of Parkinson's disease, which hadn't been shown um, before. So um, that work led, if we look at slide eight, to a publication um, in Nature where we found that T cells from patients with Parkinson's disease recognized alpha-synuclein and um, T-cell epitopes, as they're called, or these peptide sequences that activates T-cells. And we see more of those in, in Parkinson's disease individuals compared to healthy controls. Um, so that was very exciting. And as I said, it led to a lot of additional questions. So on slide nine, um, there is a potential, and we don't know how this works yet, right? But if the microglial cells present alpha-synuclein and activate T-cells, they could potentially contribute to the death of the neurons um, in the substantia nigra and contribute to the progression of the disease. So on slide... 10, I've just sort of <laughs> made a progression um, between slide 10 to 12. But if we start on slide 10, um, the development of Parkinson's is a very long and gradual progress. Um, progress. And um, if we start off here in the sort of light yellow, um, you have all of your substantia nigra neurons remaining. And you're in sort of a risk phase and then as the neurodegeneration starts to happen you don't have a lot of um, symptoms um, but you're in a sort of preclinical phase and you know there's no uh, tests to determine this so that's not something someone would know and if we look at slide 11 you um, then progress and you start having um, non-motor symptoms. Some individuals report um, constipation and loss of smell, but obviously that happens for many other diseases. So it's not specific, of course, to Parkinson's disease. And then you um, start having slight motor signs. And you can see as this goes on, the number of substantia nigra neurons um, slowly decrease over time and obviously this as it's called prodromal phase can last for more than 10 years um, and then if we go to slide 12 once you're diagnosed uh, with parkinson's disease and you have your motor symptoms which is usually what makes you see the neurologist in the first place um, unfortunately most of your substantia nigra neurons are already gone and um, those won't come back, so to speak. So um, really what's of huge interest is to find a biomarker for early detection and then uh, ways to delay or prevent this 
neuronal degradation because that's really what uh, would help individuals with this disease. Um, so if we move to slide uh, 13, so um, one of our goals in the lab is to understand the prodromal phase of disease and um, develop biomarkers to uh, detect these. And, and our question is really if T cell or T cell reactivity could be useful as a potential um, biomarker um, of disease and even a prodrome marker so that you can see it before you start having these um, clinical symptoms. So on slide 14, uh, it's the same picture again, but just to say that we looked at longitudinal changes in alpha-synuclein-specific T-cells um, since this disease uh, takes, uh, fortunately, one could say it, it is slow progressing, but it's very hard to follow longitudinal samples. But we were fortunate to be contacted by someone who, <laughs> for other reasons, had um, white blood cells cryopreserved. Um, and we could look at the reactivity in, in their samples. And we found that in this prodromal phase, you see um, higher reactivity in your T cells against alpha-synuclein than you do in the clinical phase. So after they were diagnosed with um, Parkinson's disease. So that's very interesting. And we're now interested, obviously, in looking at more of these um, types of samples. But if we look at um, slide 15, we also looked at uh, individuals that were already diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and they had different times from diagnosis. So someone could be uh, diagnosed very recently, so um, within a year or so, or someone could be um, up to almost 30 years since their diagnosis. And then we measured um, the immune response to alpha-synuclein in these individuals. And you can see in the graph here that um, a higher immune response, so each dot in this graph is an individual, and the higher immune response is found in uh, more individuals when they're closer to diagnosis compared to when they're further out. And we were able to um, replicate this in independent cohorts. Of course, that's uh, something you wanna do um, as a researcher to make sure it's not uh, something odd going on with a particular cohort. And what was also interesting um, some of these uh, MOCA and UPDRS are some clinical um, scores, really, to, that is used to diagnose Parkinson and also look at the progression of the disease. But we didn't see any correlation with reactivity compared to those. The, it was really the year since diagnosis that played the most, um, that was correlated with the immune response. And um, linking that to the individual who we could measure before diagnosis, it, it seems like um, we have higher immune response 
before onset and then that sort of trails off as you progress. So if we go on to slide 16, we think that in the lab we have a model to study Parkinson's disease um, just to uh, look at peripheral T cells and um, this work that I just described to you um, was published um, not that long ago in, in Nature Communications. Um, so moving on to slide 17 where um, it's really the bulk of today's uh, talk where we were curious to see if we could use transcriptomics or um, gene signatures, um, whether that could help us identify these uh, diagnostic or perhaps um, mechanistic markers of Parkinson's disease. And with the sort of thought that alpha-synuclein specific T cells, um, if you have those, that's a sign of um, inflammation and ongoing autoimmunity and individuals that don't have that may have had it in the past so we're just taking a snapshot at one time point so one of our other interests is really to look at even longitudinal samples for individuals with parkinson's disease but you see the same graph as i showed you um, a couple of slides ago where we um, divided our cohort into those who respond to um, alpha synuclein, so those are called PDR, and those that don't respond, and those are called PDNR for non-responders. Um, and this um, has been published this year, so um, I just put the reference here uh, if you want to look at that. So um, looking at slide 18, that will explain um, what we uh, did. So we did RNA-seq just by taking um, PBMCs. So those are the white blood cells from a person. And here I've just shown uh, flow cytometry plots, how we uh, sorted those cells. So we take a sample, run them through a machine, um, and get them as a single cell suspension at the end that we can look at their RNA expression. Um, and then we also looked at CD4 and CD8 memory T cells. So just these two um, most prevalent types of T cells in the blood. And we focused on uh, memory cells for those populations based on uh, markers called CD45RA and CCR7. And that's shown here in this um, diagram. So if we look at... Um, slide 19, um, we actually uh, do these comparisons, right, to find differentially expressed genes. So genes that are different between these samples. And our initial look at this, we compared all the different cell types that we had. So that's shown here in, in what's called A on the slide. Um, and that's a principal component analysis. Um, and you can see here that if you have healthy controls or Parkinson disease individuals for these different cell types, so CD4 and uh, sort of red P 
pink uh, color and CD8 is in green and light green and PBMC is in blue. Um, you can see that they cluster based on cell type and they don't necessarily cluster based on um, whether it's a Parkinson individual or a healthy control. And if we look at the overlap in B, you can see there's very few, first of all, um, few genes that are differentially expressed and there's very little overlap between the cell types. So um, that was looking at Parkinson disease individuals as a whole. But if we turn to slide 20 instead, we can see that when we classify the subjects based on um, their response to alpha-synuclein. So like I said, the responders versus non-responders um, and potentially then someone with autoimmune features compared to those that do not have that. If we look at slide 21, you can see that the number of genes um, goes up. So we find a lot more differences when we take that into consideration. So the first three rows just shows um, Parkinson disease individuals as a whole versus healthy control and non-responders. And then we look at Parkinson responders versus non-responders, both for Parkinson and healthy controls. And you can see we have a lot of differentially expressed genes. And if we dive into those signatures further and look at slide 22, um, this is a busy slide. Um, here we're just looking at the differentially expressed genes. So if we, for example, focus on panel A, you first have a volcano plot where you can see how the genes are expressed um, and how different they are between the responders versus non-responders. And then when we take that gene signature and look if we can cluster the different groups of um, in the different cohorts, you can see that the Parkinson responders forms one cluster there in red, whereas the non-responders forms a different cluster. And this is true for um, PBMCs, CD4 memory T cells, and CD8 um, memory T cells. So we have a signature for all the different um, cell types that we studied. And interestingly, some of these um, differentially expressed genes are genes previously shown to be involved in Parkinson's disease um, and not necessarily in T cells, mainly neurons, but we find differential expression of those. Um, so if we go to slide 23, we perform something that's called a gene set enrichment analysis, where you can look at the genes, um, the group of genes that you have identified to see how are they linked together and and what are they shown in the past to be involved in and in this example we're looking at an example of um, genes that were involved in parkinson's disease and um, because you have a peak closer to the responders so in red the pdr that shows that there's an enrichment for um, 
this Parkinson disease gene signature in the, those individuals that respond to alpha synuclein to compare to those that do not. And it's just another way of uh, showing you that um, <laughs> those genes that were previously um, linked to Parkinson's disease in neurons, as I said, also show up in this case in the CD4 memory cells. And um, if we move on to slide 24, we also looked at not only the gene expression, but the um, protein expression. And here I'm just showing some of the examples in, uh, for example, PBMCs, where we have um, the lowest expression of CCR5 in Parkinson responders, and then it sort of increases as you go through Parkinson non-responders and healthy control non-responders. And, and um, to the right there under PBMC, you see uh, the protein expression. And so um, it ties to the protein expression, essentially. And now we're working on, if we go to slide 25, um, trying to look at these genes in more detail. So look at the top differentially expressed genes and then see where they are expressed. Are they membrane bound? Are they secreted from the cell? Are they intercellular? And then also cell specific responses um, or expression that we can see to see if they're a potential target that we could use and develop antibodies against or use antibodies that are already available and see how that modulates the T-cell response um, against different antigens. So on slide 26, um, some take-home messages um, that we see that alpha-synuclein-specific T-cells are most abundant before diagnosis of motor PD. And I haven't shown you this, but, um, well, I kind of have. You saw on the graph that not all Parkinson individuals respond to alpha-synuclein. So do they respond to a different neuro-derived antigen? Um, that's something we're looking into right now. And also looking, as I said, at these uh, longitudinal samples. Uh, we find a gene signature uh, in these alpha-synuclein-specific T-cells. And... Um, the gene signature is enriched in uh, the Parkinson's disease signature. And we also um, shown that by classifying the patients into responder versus non-responder, we uh, can identify additional granularity and information um, that might be important for these individuals. And with that, we're on slide 27. Um, and obviously we can't, we do, don't do any uh, mouse work in the lab. So uh, we really uh, rely on this generous participation of patients um, that sign up for our study. And we're very grateful to them for their donations. And um, listen here, the different sites that we're working with in this um, project. So um <laughs> very focused it seems on the east coast and west coast but um, that's how that ended up and on slide 28 um, 
we uh, look at this autoimmunity and the role of T cells with the goal of improving diagnosis, understand the progression of the disease, unlock uh, this key so that you could interfere perhaps before all the neurons are already gone and then find gene signatures uh, that contribute to the immune response with the goal, of course, of stopping Parkinson's. And then the last slide is just acknowledgements of um, everybody involved and also uh, funding agencies. So and thank you so much for um, coming to this talk today. I'm happy to answer questions. I realize I, I don't have no idea how um, <laughs> this platform works. So if you uh, try to say something and I, I missed it, I apologize. Oh, no, thank you so much. This was great. Um... I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask, and then, you know, if anyone has questions, please flash your mics. Um, my question was, so do you think that um, because you have this T-cell um, response so close to or pre-diagnosis, what do you think, what role does the immune system play to maybe also um, make the disease worse? Or, or do you just think this is just purely, a, you know, a response and doesn't contribute any, in any way to the, to the disease no. progression? So right now we think, um, based on other evidence, uh, in the field that it seems that the T-cells perhaps have a detrimental role. So they, they respond and then they contribute to the killing of the neurons, which would obviously make um, the disease worse. There's not a definitive proof for that, though, so, so um, that theory may well change, but um, that's the sort of ongoing hypothesis. And um, so if that's the case, is there maybe a difference in people with Parkinson's in their T cells that they are kind of triggered more easily or um, over-responsive, over-active? Mm. Um, so there is a, there, uh, studies have shown that individuals with Parkinson have higher levels of certain inflammatory markers. Um, what we tried to do since we're a T-cell lab, and that's actually out as a preprint right now uh, on bioarchives, but we wanted to see if that extends to um, T-cell responses against commonly encountered antigens. And by that, I mean uh, coronaviruses. Obviously, they're a hot topic right now, but there's a lot of um, what's called common cold coronaviruses and so not necessarily what we've been experiencing for the past two years. And then also looking at other uh, viruses, flu viruses, rhinoviruses, which also causes colds, um, antigens that are found in vaccinations like pertussis and tetanus and sort of chronic viruses like uh, CMV and EBV. Um, but we don't see a difference. So the uh, hyperinflammatory response in PD individuals doesn't, at least against those antigens, translate uh, to higher reactivity there. Um, 
instead it's it's similar to age matched healthy controls and i want to point out that it's obviously important to uh, age match as a lot of individuals with parkinson's are are um, it's most frequent in individuals over the age of 60 so you have to compare to a similar uh, cohort of, of individuals without parkinson's um, so it doesn't translate there and that could be obviously we see higher responses to alpha-synuclein and uh, potentially to other neuroantigens so perhaps it's more uh, specific than just uh, higher reactivity to anything. Interesting, thank you. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, I'll flash your mic if you have a question. And yeah, Dr. Sharkway. Yeah, thank you so much for wonderful work and you shared that with us. My question is about that previous exposure that you just mentioned, and I know that you have a, you had a research around the. Uh, TB. I mean, mm -hmm. I was just wondering, did you find any significance between the exposure with the TB or other kind of viral exposure and your finding? This is my first question. Um, no, no, we haven't. So, and and for TB, I haven't looked in at that um, in detail. Of course, in the U.S., where most of our samples come from, we're very fortunate to have very little. Um, mycobacterium tuberculosis infections um, so that would require quite a large cohort to look at that uh, whether there's anything and I don't think that's been reported um, no so we haven't found anything um, in the TISA response linked to to previous exposure that's higher in Parkinson compared to controls yeah I mean your result totally makes sense for me in practical level and about the neuroinflammation that you just mentioned because too many of the patients I mean report the same symptoms I mm. mean also we are seeing the IgG and IgM positive in those patients and another question is about uh, different types of neurons because we know that about dopamine uh, dopaminergic neurons and mm -hmm. we have a 10 types of the dopaminergic neurons so your report is matched with uh, all of them or one of them because one of them i know specifically it's very important <laughs> you, and it's you, related uh, with p53 you seem to be a lot more knowledgeable knowledgeable in this area than i am i have to admit so um we haven't I want to point out we haven't specifically looked at neurons in our group. What we look at is peripheral T cells that are in the blood that respond to this protein that um, is found aggregated in neurons in the substantia nigra of Parkinson individuals. So we don't have any um, data on specific neurons and, and which ones are affected more than others. I would have to refer to other people's work for that, and I, 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 I'm afraid I can't answer that question. Thank you, Cecilia. That was wonderful. Um, there are a few questions in the chat. So, um, one that I wanted to read out was Girish' uh, question. Have you looked at glycan age signature in patient samples? Um, glycan age equals glycosylation of circulating IgG bodies that increase with age. 
it is a robust marker of long-term chronic inflammation. Um, no, we haven't at all looked at any antibodies. Um, uh, no. Okay. He, he's um, adding, it's akin to the AGBA1C for glucose correlated with a number of age-related disease including Parkinson, I wonder if it can help with early preclinical diagnosis when coupled with a T-cell genetic signature and other biomarkers. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I don't know enough about this, but it sounds like something um, that could potentially be measured. So I, I, I thank you, Girish. I should uh, go and read up on that and see if that's something... Um, that we should uh, look at in our patients. If you don't mind, I can answer for the patient that they have a higher A1C or even uh, they have a, I mean, they are on the age of uh, A1C, we do prevention. I mean, because one of the results is the neuroinflammation, so it's correct. Mm, thank you. Uh, does anyone else have a question? I saw that LT came to the stage. Yes, great presentation. Thank you. Um, my question is, um, since you're looking at this inflammation in the brain, do you also find, and of course you're looking at the Parkinson. is there like, a, uh, like I know a family, the grandma has Parkinson, of course in her 60s, the mom is okay. But that daughter, so we're talking about the, the second generation, so that daughter, uh, my generation, uh, has mm -hmm. Parkinson. So in her 30s, it, 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 in your family, I mean, in the cohort you study, do you see a pattern that can skip a generation? That's my um, question. Thank you. Thank you. No, we, we don't really look at that. So the individuals that we have seen so far, um, just donate once and we ask them for their history um, in terms of also family history of Parkinson's disease. But we haven't looked at that in detail and we also don't have enough patients to draw any conclusions. To do those types of studies, you need way more data than what we have um, blood samples from. Um, what we, what I can say is for the healthy controls that we use, we also ask them for their history in their family. And if they say sort of like you're describing my grandmother had Parkinson, they're not, um, they can't participate as a control, um, since that might confound things. But, um, yeah, I hope that somewhat answers your question. Yes. Uh, if I may, can ask a, a, a related question? Is there a, you don't get the human, right? Do you know like a, a good animal model then? That's my follow-up. Then I'm done with question. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so there are mouse models where you can induce Parkinson-like symptoms and, and through viral vectors and this sort of thing. Um, but they don't, right? They don't develop parkinson's by themselves you need to you need to induce those uh symptoms in them um 
I think I I I don't know whether there are uh sort of non-human primates or that type of thing. Obviously, it's in um it would be very expensive since it's it's more prone in in individuals that are older. So um. And also, if you don't have a particular reason to look in primates, you wouldn't necessarily do that. So, so there are mouse models, um, but in terms of whether you can skip a generation, I don't think that's you can't do that in mouse models. You would have to look at large cohorts of people. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know, Leslie, Eli, did you have a question? Just checking in. Um, if not... Um... Yeah, so um, this is just a clarification on a point. You mentioned at one point that uh, um, there was enrichment of the Parkinson's uh, disease gene signature in, in the T cells. Um, was that specifically for T cells that respond to alpha synuclein or T cells in general? So um, that's a good question. Thank you. No, so we, we looked at T cells in general, right? We didn't divide them into alpha synuclein responding versus not. So, of course, not all the T cells in a person will respond to alpha synuclein. So I... I I don't know what I can say is it's in an individual that have T cells that respond to alpha synuclein, but we don't know uh, within the T cell population what that looks like. Um, yeah, that, and that's that, something we would like to do to sort of do single cell sequencing and look at that in particular, but we don't have any data uh, for that uh, right now. Yeah, because it that you know raises the question of whether there's something affecting the T cells that make them more prone to respond to uh, alpha synuclein, and this is you know affecting all T cells versus uh, something that happens uh, to the cells that are responding to alpha synuclein, um, and and the things that came to mind were were things like exosomes. Um, yeah, I, I, I've heard a lot about exosomes actually recently, not particularly for this, but um, also for tuberculosis. So I think that's uh, certainly up and coming in terms of uh, <laughs> things that, uh, that people are looking at. Yeah, I just had a quick question. Um, since uh, uh, Parkinson's disease is uh, uh, more a collection of symptoms and seems to have a lot of different causes, it was initially classified as an environmental disease. Um, or, or was discovered as one. Um, do you see any variability in the uh, T cell activity that you're measuring between uh, different Parkinson's disease patients as, as far as uh, perhaps uh, classifying what the, uh, well, don't, don't want to speculate as far as uh, classifying <laughs> different causes, but just is there variability? 
um we don't see any right now but also like i said before um, those types of studies require a lot of um patients and, and our cohorts um you know they're 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 certainly large for individuals that donate cells and blood for research but they're not uh that large so um we can't really draw any conclusions what we're uh, starting to look at now um, is certain individuals there are some um, genes that are identified as risks for Parkinson's disease so certain mutations and we're starting those have not been included in our studies because it's um, you know another factor to take into consideration but we're starting to look at individuals that carried those types of genes to see um, if there's differences in their t-cell responses um, but i i am not so far we haven't found anything so far uh, what about a different tack for attack for possibly finding prodromal people and uh, we have a large cohort of uh, people with uh, sleep disturbances uh, yeah. IRB, uh, and, in Minnesota and... that uh, uh, I'm in uh, looking at movement disorders and uh, in general and in Parkinson's disease and other people in my lab are working with uh, the pro possible prodromal I mean so many people go on to get a parkinson's like disease from that it's uh within 10 years so yeah about and uh, thank you that's really important and and obviously i skipped over that in my talk but that's another thing uh we are looking at so recruiting individuals with rbd exactly for the reasons like you say that uh, unfortunately a lot of them go on to develop parkinson's disease and we're trying to follow these patients longitudinally to measure uh, whether um, they have higher reactivity to alpha-synuclein compared to controls and or other antigens that we're looking at. So yeah, certainly that's a huge interest and something we're actively working on to um, look at. Okay, good. Just wanted to comment, it's a bit of a ch chicken and an egg thing at this point because there's a lot of research efforts focused on identifying people at the prodromal stage, but we don't really have much in the way of mitigation to offer at this point. So, Yeah, exactly. No, I, I completely agree. It is a chicken and an egg, and to some extent, um, you know, do you really want to know if you're gonna develop Parkinson or not if there's nothing that can be done about it right but we obviously need to do more research and and try and find those things out so that they can be helped earlier well if both sides have success then we'll be golden so I uh, thank you very much for your talk uh, thank you for coming Um, please go ahead. Um, I see Ben and uh, King Ying Yan. You also came to the stage, Katie, David. Uh, please go ahead.
Yeah, I I was just curious. Um, do you see any further uh, potential applications uh, in the commercial clinical setting of this work, in terms of um, whether the developing a, um, a point of care diagnostics or uh, perhaps in uh, drug development to uh, to attempt. Um, to address the Parkinson's disease from various different angles, whether it's cure or a relief of symptoms or anything like that. Did you see the sort of commercialization prospect of this research? Um, no, I mean, in the sense what I mentioned, um, where we have uh, potentially higher T-cell reactivity, right, in the prodromal phase. So um, that could potentially be looked at as a biomarker but there's obviously a lot of things st still remaining to do and in terms of the gene signatures uh, that's why we're looking at whether modulating some of these uh, genes has an effect um, and whether that you know eventually could go into animal models and then you know trials um, and see if that has an, a positive effect. Obviously, you don't want to make anything worse. So, uh, yes, there is a potential, but I think it's still um, some way away. I mean, as far as so just to follow up, as far as you know, are there any companies, uh, whether biotech or pharma, uh, that are looking at something like this or happy working on something like this? Or is it just completely virgin territory that nobody has really thought about doing something like this before? Um, no, so I think right now it's uh, basic research. I don't know of any companies that are, are uh, looking at this type of work that we've been um, describing. Uh, Katie, David, do you have any questions? Hi there, this is David Perez. Uh, I just kind of joined late. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what you had discussed so far in reference to, it sounds like you were talking about some gene therapy, correct? Um, so I was discussing um, differentially expressed genes that we see in, in uh, individuals with Parkinson that respond to alpha-synuclein compared to those that do not so in terms of T cell responses that was the focus on the of the talk today. And your CD four, CD eight, and your did you did you what was the count after that therapy? Was it above one oh? The ratio? Um so the the they we certainly see an increased amount of differentially expressed genes in the um, T-cells when we look at um, individuals that respond to those that do not. I'm not sure I understand your question. So we, I have some experience. We did some studies with Alzheimer's dementia patients for three years. It was a rolling 12-month ad admission. And we saw some very powerful, uh, uh, you know, markers. You know, uh, CNF-alpha was down by 50%. The BDNF was up by 11%. 
and uh, CD4, CD8, a lot of the, a lot of the markers that we found, um, like the CD14, which is the macrophages, would help remove some of the beta amyloid plaque. We saw some of those um, significant improvement um, over just you know with some dietary supplements, which was interesting. Basically, rice bran, aloe vera, uh, and some um, IP6 and hexophosphate. So we're I'm seeing foods making a big difference in some of the gene expressions and some of the research that not only we have done and, and they're peer reviewed and published in the uh, journal of Alzheimer disease, but also some of the, uh, the work that Elizabeth Ryan has done in rice bran at the uh, University of uh, Colorado in Fort Collins. She's seen some very unique things happen. And, you know, she's documented over 450 phytonutrients just in one molecule, rice bran, which are amino acids, minerals, cofactors, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of different things happening there. And, um, I just spent a month in Budapest and I saw some oxygenated water have over 600 uh, uh, genes that regulates, that it uh, downregulates and upregulates just oxygen water. So hypoxia is, I think, you know, a, a good area to investigate when we're in a hypoxic state. Things are happening in the body that not only help uh, people with uh, Parkinson's, but also Alzheimer's and various forms of cancer. So. Um, that's an area that I've been for the last seven months spending a lot of time on in, in the area of uh, hypoxia, lack of oxygen to our cells. When most people think hypoxia is climbing a mountain, lack of oxygen to the brain, but hypoxia is is the culprit for many things because it's caused you know, um, by stress. A, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you have a question in there? Because we are almost up to the hour and we were about to close the room. So if you could now ask your question. I, that would be nice. No, I'm just learning, listening. Thank you. Thank you. And David, also, you can listen to the replays so that even though you did come to the room late, you still can have an opportunity to hear everything that Dr. Alham has shared with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, okay, then let me read out uh, two more questions for in the last two minutes we have uh, from the chat. Uh, so Fong Trang, he uh, he he said he would love to see ED50 comparison data versus L-DOPA in NHP red PD models. I'm not sure if you have a comment on that. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, no, that's very different from uh, our work. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't have a comment regarding that. And what is the goal classification pathway enrichment of PD signature and T cells from Gerish and T? Sorry if you missed that. Um, so I didn't go into that in detail, um, but we do have uh, all that data available in, in the manuscript. So if you look that up on MPJ Parkinson's disease, um, those uh, analysis should be in there. Yeah, if anyone needs um, maybe the paper as PDFs, um, please reach out to me. I can uh, send them to you, um, share them with you through my Google Drive. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Cecilia, for taking the time um, to share your very interesting work with us here today. I really appreciate it. And I hope you come back one day. Uh, give us <laughs> yeah, updates. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And thank you to everybody who took the time to sign on today. It was great.
um, sharing our research and, and uh, hearing your thoughts as well and questions. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, all the best for you and your research. It's very important. So thank you for doing it and investing your life into it. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very, very much for coming. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Cecilia. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, thanks. Yeah, and um, thanks everyone for coming and asking questions. And um, we, uh, if you like this type of rooms uh, with guest speakers talking about their work, uh, please follow the Cloud Science Society. And tomorrow we have a room, um, the researcher, um, Dr. Sawat from IBM in Switzerland, he's coming to talk about neuromorphing, neuromorphic computing and neural networks. He will share his latest two papers uh, about that. Uh, so um, yeah, and we'll have more rooms next week and the following weeks. So um, yeah, thank you everyone. Thank you, Cecilia again, and we'll close the room in three, two, one. Thank Thanks, Katerina. Thank you, Katerina. Thank you, Doctor. See you next time. Bye-bye.